0: Welcome to the Vegas Gang podcast for August fifteenth, two thousand thirteen. The Vegas Gang is a roundtable discussion show for issues related to casinos in Las Vegas, Macau, and the rest of the world. Let me go around the table here and introduce my co-hosts. I've got uh, Chuck Monster, the um, sound effects. Guy-in-chief at VegasDripping.com. What's happening, Chuck? <laughs> this is a, a VIMP preview. This is pretty much, for those of you who haven't been, this is pretty much what it's like. We just play sound effects. I'm, um, I'm, I'm actually doing my Christopher Pike impression. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> Was that one beep or two? There you go. Wow. Okay, we're good.
0: Um, and that other voice you hear, of course, is Dr. Dave Schwartz, the director of UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. Hi there. Uh, my name's Hunter Hillegas. I am the inventor of the Hyperloop, which <laughs> I'm very excited about. I'll be telling you all about my fabulous invention later. Um, and I also wanted to say welcome to – I know we got some new listeners as a result of uh, – the, episode we, post, the short episode we posted a short episode we posted about a week ago um, with Derek Stevens discussing his new resort fee. I got, I got a couple of notes from folks saying that they uh, were signing up to listen for the first time. So welcome. Um, I'm sure we will disappoint you. Uh, but uh, we, want, we are happy that you're here. So. Um, yes. I'm going to start with some announcements. I, sometimes I feel like the announcements are like half the show. So I'm going to try and get through these as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, But we do have some stuff that we want to remind you of. Um, number one is the again reminding you of the stuff that we're doing on uh, on Flipboard. Uh, I just wanted to say thanks to all the people that have subscribed. That magazine on Flipboard is called uh, Viva Vegas, and it's actually over six thousand subscribers now. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's uh, featured by Flipboard, which I think definitely helped.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: um, it's been cranking, and special thanks to um, you know the two guys that are really doing most of the heavy lifting when it comes to putting stuff in there, Anthony and uh, our good big friend or. Our also known as Mac, and, of course, um, Big Hoss. So both of those guys are doing an amazing amount of work. I appreciate that from them. And if you uh, want to see some Vegas-y goodness, that's uh, something you could check out. <laughs> Moving on. Dr. Dave. Dr. Dave is an author amongst his many other talents. And, um, you know, we've been talking about uh, his book, Roll the Bones, for quite some time. But um, last time around, we mentioned uh, his next book, which um is proceeding and this is the next book is called uh, Grandissimo and um it is so great as i mentioned last time it's just fantastic i got to take, take a look at uh, a later draft and it fixed a couple of my my favorite typos so i was sad to <laughs> see them go but it's looking really it's looking really quite solid and um i i am very excited about this book as i said last time um i just think it's fantastic And uh, so, Dave, why don't you tell us where you are in the process? And I know people are are really eager um, to get their hands on it. Any new news on when that might happen?
1: I have some great new news. Okay, so as people who know about the book know, it wasn't picked up by a big publisher. And I decided to publish it myself um, just because I think it's a story that really needs needs to get out there. And to do that, I am doing a Kickstarter campaign. The video is 44% loaded, so it should be – live pretty soon you know hopefully by next week it'll be live and it's just gonna help me defray some of the final costs i have of getting this out there the indexing and the final proofreading and all that um, pretty much the book is done i'm in the process of turning the end notes into textual citations which is kind of cool and it is the story of jace Arno who built caesar's palace and circus circus and as i say on the cover in some my little blurb uh, inspired modern Las Vegas so Sarno's a really cool guy and I've worked very hard on this book
0: yeah it's <laughs> such a great book I mean it is got there are some crazy stories in here and I, like I think I said last time I heard stories I had never heard before um, and I read everything that has to do with Las Vegas so there's even for the uh, the person that's the most dedicated Las Vegas lover there's definitely gonna be stuff in here that you didn't know uh, I can Virtually guarantee it. So I can't wait to be able to back the project on Kickstarter. I'm going to sign up right now, Dave. I am <laughs> definitely going to tell you right now. Thank I'm back, you. I'm backing your project.
1: I appreciate that. And Thank I, you.
0: I expect all of our listeners to, to do the same and uh, and make sure that this happens as quickly as possible because people want to read this thing, so –
1: Yeah, I I think people will definitely find a lot of new information. I did, I think, about 40 interviews altogether for the book. So there's a lot of stuff that I don't think has been heard before, including how Jimmy Hoffa got connected with Sarno, which a lot of people have speculated about. But I talked to Sarno's partner and found out the real story. So it's pretty neat.
0: See, there you go. All right. Well, we're not going to spoil any of the details, but (laughs) you guys are going to love it. um, And I can't wait. So, Dave, of course, you will all let us all know as that progresses.
1: Yeah, and once the Kickstarter's up, you're going to be able to get a sample chapter. And I'm also doing some upgrades to the website, which is book.com, where you'll be able to find all this information.
0: Excellent. Mucho excelente. Um, all right, moving on. A uh, little quick note on um, iOS apps. Uh, since the last time we spoke, um, the Vegas Lists app has launched, and I wanted to say thank you to all the listeners that uh, went out and grabbed a copy. That's mighty swell of you. I, I really appreciate the support. Um, so thank you very much for, uh, for supporting me in that. I really do appreciate it. Um, when it comes to Vegas mate, this is actually uh, an important week for Vegas mate. It turns five years old this week. So, uh, it's amazing that it's been that long. It seems like it's one of those things that's, um, sort of been a constant always and forever thing in my life, but it's only been five years, which both seems like a long time and not very long at all at the same time, if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense. Yes. Um, so, you know, thanks again to everybody who's been supporting me with that for all that time. And I'm really looking forward to the next version, which is coming soonish. Uh, I made a pledge not to shave until the new version is done. <laughs> so, uh, if I, uh, if I come to Vimph looking incredibly homeless, you know that I missed my original date. Um, but that will at least give you some explanation. So, uh, hopefully I won't, uh, look too ghetto, but, um... <laughs> We'll see how that goes. I'll make sure I take a picture before uh, before I send it into Apple, so that you, we, you can gauge how uh, how long it actually went. People may confuse the two of us, Hunter. Ah, well, <laughs> there are worse things in the world, I think. <laughs> so, uh, looking forward to that. That's what's happening on the app front, and then of course the big announcement of all time: Vimf, uh, October nineteenth in the showroom at the D. Um, it's going to be a great show. Us five hundred by midnight. Uh, Dave is going to be launching his book there, which he mentioned last time, which is going to be fantastic. And, uh, of course, uh, Match Game VT, which is the Vegas stripping inspired version of Match Game, which is always a hell of a lot of fun, including sound effects, as you have heard earlier in this show. Um, a lot more of them. Yes. That's one of my personal favorites. <laughs> um, so that's going to be great. Uh, of course you can use the VIMP 2013 promo code to, um get a discount on The Room. And, uh, you know, one of the things uh, that we've been working on is uh, getting a guest for our live interview, of course, right? So that's um, something that we do every time we interview a-, a live guest. And I'm happy to say that while I cannot reveal the person's name quite yet, I am 99.9% sure that we have our guest lined up and the only thing that we can reveal at this point is that the guest's name starts with the letter S. Indeed. Indeed. So uh, I guarantee – I can uh, – I'm fairly sure that the, by the time you hear us again, we will have this locked in. Of course, we will be making that announcement on, um, on the website as well so uh, and via Twitter. So as soon as that's ready – You will will know. I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be a very fun show, and I think, uh, assuming that the guests that we've got lined up, um, it all works out, I think it will be a very interesting conversation. So that's all that we are able to say at this time, but I think it's going to be quite interesting. It may devolve into fisticuffs. I hope not, but you never know with these guests. Yes. (laughs) Um, so it's going to be fun can't wait all the information is at VegasInternetMafia.com so be sure to uh, go there and check it out and uh, we hope to see you there alright moving straight in we do have a little bit of follow up Our, um, I just want to give us an opportunity to see if you've got any final thoughts on this topic our last episode was a sort of special 20-minute short interview episode with Derek Stevens, CEO of both Golden Gate and The D, on the topic of resort fees. Because, you know, after um, months and months of operating these casinos without a resort fee, something that he had previously said, you know, he's not a huge fan of the idea of resort fees – um, they had decided to make a change and add one due to competitive pressures and some other reasons. And I don't want to speak for him. You can go back and listen to that episode and uh, hear exactly from his mouth um, the rationale and thinking behind that move. But, uh, you know, we didn't really get a chance to discuss the topic. Um, on that episode, it was really dedicated to letting him tell his story and ask a few questions. So I wanted to say, before we move on from this, um, see if you guys had any thoughts about that conversation, how you felt, um, about Derek's response, whether you're buying it, um, in terms of, uh, you know, whether you think it's sincere and whether, uh, it's truthful or whether you think there's more to the story, um, And, uh, you know, for those that also listen to 500 by Midnight, you will probably know that they had a a long discussion on this topic on their last show this past Sunday as well. Um, So there's some interesting stuff there as well. So I don't know. I guess I'll start with you, Chuck. Any thoughts on that conversation? I mean, you had written a post prior to our interview that really penciled out the math involved in the resort fee. Um, And I think that what Derek said really uh, validated and underlined a lot of the logic that you brought to that post. How do you feel about it?
3: Well, I, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of resort fees. I think any way you can, uh, uh anytime you start adding those extra add on fees and things get a little deceptive, I, I, I think you're putting a brick in, in the pathway towards, uh, having a, a non-truthful relationship with a guest and with. With particularly with casinos and gambling, so much of that relationship is built on trust. You know, you trust that the casino is going to give you the right, the fair odds, even though they do have, you know, the house advantage built into all this stuff. And you trust that when you go to the cage to redeem your chips, they're going to give you all your chips, all the cash for your chips, and not, you know, subtract five or 10 bucks as a, you know, token fee. Uh, So, I'm I'm uh I appreciate uh Derek's candor and the fact that he took the time to discuss this and and I understand the the business reasons behind it but as a tourist I I don't like resort fees even if I'm getting xyz and a glass of water for
0: free so yeah well I don't honestly I don't think there's anybody that likes resort fees any any customer that likes resort fees there may be some management and and operations people that uh, that, you know, lick their lips when they think of resort fees. But, um, I, you know, I, don't, I can't think of a single customer that would say they like resort fees. I mean, of you know, in some cases, the resort fees maybe offer services that they might end up using. But, of course, why wouldn't you rather have the opportunity to, you know, use things ad hoc as you may or may not, Actually, want them? I, I don't know, Dave. What do you you know? What do you think? Are we it was an interesting conversation. We got an opportunity to really get some clarification on a few things, including how the taxation issue works, which I think was um, at least for me insightful. What do you think about our conversation?
1: I think I don't like the decision to make resort fees, but I like the way he presented it. And this is kind of my same the same way I felt about the name the D, where I didn't like the name, but I like the process he used to get the name. The fact that he came on. And the fact that he's been open about this and he came on himself and broke it down, yep. you contrast that with some other operators who would push out somebody who's been with the company for a long time and been very loyal as a great employee, push them out there and make them say stuff that they know is going to make them look ridiculous yep. just so the executives can have some cover. you know. And I think that says a lot about Derek's integrity that he is going to do this himself. He's not going to put it on somebody else. You know, He could have just – had his you know general manager or vp of hotel send out an email to everybody he could have sent them out he could have sent somebody from Doak out to uh deal with the media he did it himself and to me that says a lot
0: yeah i agree um i am in the same camp i don't like resort fees either right like i just just saying i don't think anybody does um but you know he explained The competitive pressures that they're under, I, I can't, you know, I don't have access to his books. I can't like verify his claims in that way, but I, in my dealings with him, as it relates to the picnic stuff, I have only found him to be honorable, honest, and open. So I don't think that he would act differently in other parts of his business. So I'm inclined to trust him when he says these things are a certain way. And these are the decisions that we made. Um, of course, you know, some people – and I've seen this in a couple of places uh, – questioned whether or not – basically implied that we are, like, in the pocket of uh, the hotel because we're having our event there or because people ha- think that we are somehow, like, paid by them to promote them or something. <laughs> I've heard crazy conspiracy theories on this topic um, ranging all up and down the board. None of those things are true. Um just for the record, I, you know, I'm not a fan of resort fees. He's running his business. He says he needs them to be competitive. I wish that we were lived in a world where that wasn't the case, but it seems like we don't, and he's not the only one doing it. So I have a feeling that what he's saying um, has some weight behind it. So
3: You know, I'm going to uh, co-sign everything you guys have said, and uh – and on top of it, just a little bit of the history, every time that we've uh, trumpeted the news that uh, a, a company or a property has added resort fees, we've had quite a bunch of different reactions from the companies themselves to us, to VT. Uh, some folks have sent us an email saying, this is true, we're doing this, and an explanation. And that actually, it was only it was Win was the only one that ever did that. Um, other people have a very hostile. Other companies have been very hostile towards us whenever we mention and and get the word out that they're doing these fees. You know, Caesars was was pretty nasty. I got a number of uh, nasty emails from them, and they they uh, decided to. Uh, kick us out of their little affiliate booking hotel room club. So, because they didn't like what we had to say. So, they didn't like we had to say, that we had questions, and they didn't answer the questions or anything. So, they ended a tenuous business relationship anyway. So, Derek, on the other hand, was really forthright about this. You know, he came here, and he came, and he talked to us directly, knowing, you know, we have this event, and we're – cooperating on it and he wanted people to understand what was going on and why it was happening. That takes a lot of guts. No press release like Dave said. They didn't just shove something out there or throw it under the carpet and forget about it. He owned it. When you have a smaller company with one property, sure, you can do that. With two properties. So uh, it's admirable for yeah. sure.
0: So I don't know how much else I really had to say about it. Um, it's, it is what it is. Uh, I, I'd rather have an honest explanation than, uh, than not if, uh, if they have to be there and, um, you know, I, who knows, maybe one day there will be some kind of industry standard where these things are reported and explained in a uniform way. Like we've seen with some of the airline fees, uh, you know, there's all kinds of logistical reasons why that may not be, uh, very practical or likely. Um, but who knows I, you know I think it's better for customers if they can more easily make price comparisons and some that's one of the problems with resort fees is it's difficult to do that so anyway um, unless you guys have anything else on resort fees I think we will move on
3: at one point at some point when everybody has a resort
0: fee right then no one has a resort fee exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah you know it then that seems to be the way that it's going right it'll I be think, interesting I to th- see.
3: I pretty much think we're there at this stage of the game. There's, like, who? Casino Royale?
0: Yeah, I and mean, there's some downtown places that still don't, right? Yeah. But it's uh, the numbers are dwindling, and um, it seems like, you know, that will probably continue. Um, all right, moving on. So the last time we had our show, we were sort of at the very beginning of um, casino financial reporting season. And um, two of our most interesting and most watched operators um had not yet reported, but they have since. And both of them also held um conference calls, which were interesting. So I want to start with uh Win Resorts. So Wynn of course is um a company we talk about a lot on this show and on the various websites that we contribute to. Pretty interesting company, some great properties. Um you know, in terms of their numbers, it was interesting to see both a more solid double digit increase in Las Vegas, you know, which is an area where um Steve Wynn and other managers have been saying it you know it hasn 't been doing great for them, and they've been quick to criticize the uh, leadership in the United States government uh, and other other uh, you know macroeconomic issues that have that they have said have really hurt their results. I think they were up sixteen percent this last quarter year over year for Las Vegas, which is seems like a positive trend um, and uh, hopefully that will continue but i what I thought was more interesting was looking at the numbers in Macau, which were uh, you know, not bad by any stretch of the imagination. They're still making lots of money, but they were relatively flat. Uh, and in some cases, some of their submetrics are actually down a little bit, um, which is interesting considering some of their uh, competitors are still showing massive growth in Macau. So it what makes you wonder, is something happening at Wynn's uh, Macanese operations that might be causing some kind of a problem? They do have room, renov- room renovations in progress, which is taking some inventory out of the mix. But um, still interesting to see that some of their competitors are maybe posting some better numbers, including MGM, who we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, any guys, Any thoughts on Wynn and Macau and whether or not um, they've got a, a strategic problem uh, to see? you know, Are, are they doing something wrong is, is, or is this just a cyclical market?
1: I think it's a cyclical market. I don't think they're doing anything wrong.
0: Yep. All right, well, of course, Wynn is, um, you know, Wynn added the Encore Tower. And of course, the other big part of the news out of the call was related to the property that they're adding on Kotai. That property is getting uh, underway in terms of its construction. But this was a call where during the question and answer period, Steve Wynn really went out and, um, and talked in much more detail about the resort. And, uh, Chuck, I don't know if you have this in your head. I know that you wrote about it. Mm. Um, If if you could – I wonder – what I'm hoping is that you can give us some broad strokes. Um, It doesn't have to be word for word, but just in terms of the kinds of things that we might expect at the new hotel, which he revealed will be called the Wind Palace. We earned our bones by having public entertainment starting
3: with Mirage Volcano, (laughs) pirate ships that sank at Treasure Island, Dancing Waters of Bellagio, etc. Tree of Prosperity. I can read the whole thing,
0: but I won't. Ah,
3: uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Basically, uh, he, uh, it was pretty funny, he outlined, uh, one of the analysts asked him, can you tell us a little bit about what's uh, about the Kotai property? So he went on a, uh, a probably not as flowery as I compared to, to uh, previous uh, descriptions of his, but he... he proceeded to talk about uh, the entry of how it's going to connect to the light rail system there and people are going to come off the light rail and then load onto these gondolas that are going to shoot through the fountain display at the front and go inside the hotel. So there's, so you're going to go through the fountain display to get in there and you're part of the action and part of the experience and all this stuff. Each entrance is going to have these fantastic uh basically Bellagio motorized Bellagio uh conservatory flower displays these calliope, horse merry-go-rounds with Calliope music and peacocks and around the world in 80 days and all this stuff basically you know he he described the property and it sounds like he's doing uh, Bellagio kind of amped up and the name of the property is, the Wind Palace. Wind Palace is the, is the name of the property. Am I beginning to shape the picture for you, Harry? Is <laughs> what he said this to the analyst who right. he, who who had actually dropped off the call. So Steve's sitting there saying, basically, Harry, did you hear me? Did you hear my my big description? And he didn't get a reaction. Uh, it's pretty funny. He, so he, he, he forced the next analyst on the call to, uh, to, uh, what's all that
0: noise? <laughs> I don't know that Dave, Dave, you I think so? I'm are you, just, <laughs> are, are you doing your laundry or something? No, what's <laughs> my answer is so fast. Trying to find he's, something. He's shuffling paper. Around. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> um, no, so Chuck, you did a good job. I think your dramatic reading notwithstanding of, um, uh, of the, um, of what he was saying. I, I you know, I, I'm always – of course, it's always fun to get the details of what's coming um, with these places. And, you know, as I think you said in one of your – in a response to somebody on your forums, Steve's Hotel is always – I'm paraphrasing you, but Steve's Hotel is always the one he's building right now, which is absolutely true, right? The way he talks about the thing he's working on, he's clearly enchanted by it, and he's been – the way he describes it um, makes it sound amazing and it makes you excited about seeing what they're going to do. Um, I think, you know, the uh, the description was awesome. Um, I'm looking very much... This makes me really much looking forward to it. I don't know what I think about the Wind Palace as a name. I mean, it's fine, I guess. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. There's there's lots of golden palaces at all. So who knows? that a Maybe there's... that's just a, a Chinese, Chinese thing. But, um, you know, the, other than the name, which I could... Give or take, I uh, I think it sounds pretty pretty great. And the, what was interesting was, I mean, like I said, we're going to talk about MGM in a minute. But and you referenced this in your own post on uh, on MGM's bit, just um, you know the whole Bellagio thing and the conservatory and this emphasis on flowers and floral arrangements and water. It's interesting to see how they're definitely doubling and tripling down on that whole concept.
3: It's it's kind of interesting because. It- I was talking with uh, with John H about this uh, the day after the call, and we had a very interesting talk about it. But uh, he's kind of taking Bellagio back. He's not taking the name. Obviously, MGM decided they're not going to build a Bellagio, so right. he's taken the whole Bellagio kind of concept and feel, and and the, you know that that even Bellagio as it is now is still just so just Steve's and Roger's DNA is just all over that thing, man. And he's going to take that thing back and really do it. He's going to really kind of do it, but with a, with a wind shaped building on top of it. So, and hearing MGM's call which was a reaction i don't know if i'm jumping the gun here but no, that's fine but uh but jim murren tried his best to uh to do a little win description and he mentioned that there was going to be you know basically a conservatory with some floral
0: displays and <laughs> this hmm. kind of thing you know so
1: what a what an innovative idea
0: exactly yes. wow yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I'm. This makes me excited to see the property. Uh, they're going to spend a ton of money on it. So, open sometime in 2016. I know they want to try and get be open for Chinese New Year, but who knows if that will happen? There's some. Uh, there's there's some skepticism if that will actually be possible. But sometime in that first quarter of 2016, um, very exciting. I don't know. Yeah. The one thing I wonder though that uh, he talks about cruising in across the lake. If those gondolas only hold eight people. Like there's going to be a line. Like I don't care how many of those you have, if that's the primo experiential way to enter the property, people are gonna want to try that out. It's there's gonna there's gonna be a line for that thing. I can, you know, just guarantee it. Eight people at a time is not fast entrance.
1: Maybe he's gonna put them on the hyperloop.
0: There you go. It's a good idea. He should talk yeah. to me, the inventor of the <laughs> hyperloop, about this. <laughs> um, all right. Well, very excited about the Wind Palace. Uh, I think it's going to be very cool. Can't wait to hear more. Um, I'm sure that that will continue. So, but let's flip over to MGM, who, uh, you know, in many ways, another interesting call. They had their own results. Um, I guess we'll start with China, since we're already talking about Kotai. They they did b- well in China. You know, they uh, they now report their. Um, their uh, or their um, Macau property is, is uh, under their main um, umbrella, and uh, you know it's doing quite well. It's doing better and better. It's they've they've made some operational changes there, which have um, helped it gain market share. That continue that seems to be continuing to work, which is good, obviously, because Las Vegas, where they are, you know, they're not super well diver- diversified outside of Las Vegas and that and that property in in Macau. They need they need the money to offset <laughs> the money that they're losing in other places. Um, the Las Vegas results were not terrible. Um, they seem to be slightly edging up. I mean, they're not great, um, but they seem to be edging in in the right direction. Though it was interesting to note that. Um, Aria was down which they say is due to hold but um, you know not something that you really want to see at one of your major at your primo uh, properties but MGM, you know it's it's cruising along um, they did talk about their Kotei property which is what Chuck was just mentioning which is you know they're, of course they're they're, uh, they're desperate to be out there just as everybody else is. Um, but one of the things, and this wasn't directly on the call, but one of the things that I really appreciate, what I thought was funny, was um, we talked about last time Las Vegas Sands and Sheldon Adelson, who was you know, giving the people at MGM and Zeezers, sort of giving them a little bit of hell for what he was saying was driving down the rates by, you know, they're lo- he was saying they're lowering rates to basically buy a business to get people in the door because they need it. Um, and uh Howard Stetson the review journal had a response from Murrin which is pretty much what you would expect um them you know him saying that Las Vegas is doing better that they're spending a lot of money to to improve their product that things are getting better but the best part is the very very end of of this piece where um Murin just said and Murrin of course those of you who listen to the show know that Jim Murrin is you know not typically known for making news with flowery language um he he says regarding Adelson he says he's entitled to his own opinion maybe because he's rich he thinks people care about what he has to say it's obvious we know Las Vegas better than he does I just love I just love imagining Jim Mern saying maybe because he's rich he thinks people care about what he has to say <laughs> um, which of course is a great way of framing you know the blowviating that a lot of these guys do uh, yeah. on their calls in general. Um, But I just thought it was very funny to see Marin strike back in that way. It sort of makes you feel like there's maybe no love lost between some of these guys, uh, which is probably no big surprise. But um, I don't know anything in MGM's results that uh, stands out to either of you guys. I mean, it seemed like a pretty standard quarter for them continuing their slow recovery in Las Vegas, um, bolstered somewhat by better uh, output in China.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely it. They're kind of inching along. Um, the kind of bigger thinking question I have about the whole thing is, and it kind of, it, this was sparked by Chuck's blog post today about the Harman corridor, you know, what if the whole Macau thing ends up being another Harman corridor, you know, so what if China's about to totally liberalize gaming within China? And it turns out that for the past five years, you know, we've all been, oh yeah, this is going to be huge. This is going to be huge. And it ends up not being just kind of a little question I have banging around in my brain.
0: Yeah. I mean, it would be uh, clearly devastating for these companies that have made these huge investments there. Uh, you, I mean, you at least I would think that they must have been getting assurances from the government in some way yeah. or form that before they're investing all this money saying, yeah, you know, you guys, you might, well might want to do some of this stuff, but you're, it's not going to be you're not going to do it for like another 10 years, right? 20 years, <laughs> something like that. I mean, they're they're just investing so much money. Um, if they, if the Chinese government turned around and really screwed them like that, I mean, wow, that would be something to see. <laughs> watch those, yeah. watch those share prices collapse overnight. I mean, it would just be, yeah. it would be amazing. Uh, there was, there
3: was a question on the wind call. I believe the analyst asked uh, Steve what he thought about the potential for new licensees in Macau. Right, yes. And he, he played it pretty safe. You know, we've had discussions with the blah, blah, blah. He was always really super respectful the way he gives a sort of non-answer that he's not worried about it. But it was worth enough for the analyst to have a question.
0: Yeah. No, no that's know? an interesting point. But, um, you know, also this week, Caesars unloaded the golf course. That was exactly <laughs> the next thing that I was <laughs> going to say was, you know, we t- we saw this week Caesars – uh, unload their golf course that they bought, uh, hoping that they were going to turn it into a casino property back 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 in the day. Of course, they don't have a license they're not going to be uh, building anything in Macau at least in the near future. Well, the reason and so that's a great excellent point, Jacques, I really what I wanted to ask you guys was how screwed is Caesars not having access to this market? I mean it oh, seems boy. like it's a big problem.
1: They're very challenged, you know both because of the cash flow coming over there and also because of the recruiting of high rollers over here. they're very challenged,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean it you know it's uh it seems like it's a really being shut out of that market and of course into you know Singapore as well, but of course Singapore is much much smaller in terms of the number of people that are operating there um it uh you know they lost. They lost a little bit of money on the golf course, but really it's just a symbol of the fact that they just don't have a foothold there. Can you charge resort
3: fees on greens fees? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so.
0: Well, customers <laughs> demand it. You can do whatever the customer demands.
3: <laughs> That's true. Free Wi-Fi on the sixth hole. But seriously, uh, Caesars blew it by not buying uh, Melko Crown when their share price was in the trash can. They should have just... Figure out a way to take it over, buy it, or get it, or hold on to it, or strangle them in some way or another. Make uh, Lawrence and uh, James Packer an offer they couldn't refuse to get that to get that company. Now you know their market cap is like what, like almost fifteen billion dollars. And it wasn't that all that long ago. Two years ago, their stock was trading at about six, seven, eight bucks a share. Yeah,
0: right. They blew it. No, I mean uh, it. I don't know. It's it's one of those things, and it's you know. I think Gary Loveman has gone on the record saying, "Look, we." I don't know if he would put it in exactly those terms, but he said in some of these interviews, you know, we wish we were in that market. We, I think, he looks back at that as a strategic error, not finding some way to muscle their way in there yeah. more aggressively.
1: Yeah, and there's been a couple more strategic errors too.
0: You know, do um, tell.
1: Well, uh, <laughs> that the the paper I wrote for the big gaming conference in May, I kind of. Tendentially talked about some of them because I was basically talking about was over concentration on the strip bad? And I came to the conclusion, yeah, that it was like neutral to slightly negative. It wasn't catastrophic, but it wasn't really great for anybody, including the companies involved. You know, looking at MGM's share price before they bought Mandalay and after. That didn't really help their share price. It didn't really help customers. And in the case of Harrah's, they had a very well-articulated policy, a very well-articulated strategy in their annual reports going back five years about we're going to be broadly geographically diversified and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And they kind of threw all that out the window and said, oh, no, we're going to buy a ton of real estate in Vegas now. Mm -hmm. So they had had their strategy. They kind of lost their discipline and abandoned it because everything in Vegas looked so great. Suddenly figured we're going to emulate MGM and become a basically Las Vegas real estate development company, which is where MGM was heading in 2005, 2006. And it didn't go well for either of them. And you contrast that with LVS and Wynn both of whom could have also gone into the Las Vegas real estate development game. You know, do I do doubt that if Sheldon had wanted to buy assets, he couldn't have. You know, I, I think he could have. Yeah. They just had different they just had a different read in the situation, said, no, we're not gonna expand our footprint in Vegas. We are going to really aggressively exploit these other opportunities. And that worked out well for them. You know, now let's say things go differently. Let's say the US economy doesn't crash. Let's say you've got another kind of SARS type outbreak in Asia. Well, then Wynn and LVS look pretty dumb. Right, right.
3: Lord knows there's that giant piece of property right next to Caddy Cornered across the street from uh, from the Venetian and right across the street from Wynne. Mm-hmm. those guys wanted to build something, they could easily purchase that.
0: You know, those, those the guys that own it are Steve's best friends, right? They come and stay at his property all the time.
3: They lost it. That thing got foreclosed on. That's bank owned.
0: Ah, uh, well. Yeah. But
1: they both had they both had expansion plans. You know, um, LVS had that plan to pretty much tear down the Sands Expo Center and right. rebuild it behind the Wynn Garage. And Wynn, right. of course, had the whole golf course. Right. They just weren't going to jump into it.
0: Right. Speaking of um, of consolidation, uh, you know, consolidation on the Strip has been. Uh, something that I've ranted and railed about, and Dave, you mentioned it moments ago in reference to the paper that you wrote. but you know, this week we saw Pinnacle and Ameristar complete their merger. Um, as we see consolidation in some of the regional markets, I mean, any feeling, Dave, on how w- is this going to be a replay of some of the negative effects we've seen on the strip as we have less op- fewer operators? Um, competing against each other or is that less of an issue when you've got regional casinos that aren't all in the exact same geographical market
1: I think it's slightly less of an issue. Obviously there are some monopoly concerns, you know, which is why the FTC made them get rid of some properties. I think you're going to see regulators in other states be probably a little bit more vigilant about this and saying, "Hey, we don't want to have too much concentration here." So I don't think it's as much of a concern. You know, if anything, if it's a company that's strong in the South, buying a company that's strong in the Northeast, that would be good because they would expand their player base and that would theoretically help players in both places. So I think having geographically diversified bigger companies is probably good, um, probably better for the players.
0: Yeah. and in, in terms of those two, it's interesting to see. Apparently, the um, analysts that were tracking the deal seem to think that there is a fair amount of opportunity for synergistic cost savings just – you know. Basically, that's a euphemism for firing people that are in support jobs that we already have two of now. Um, But, uh, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that combined company goes. As, um, you know, this continues, I I always wonder how some of these people that have been sort of cast out of the gaming industry uh, would think about these things. And Dan Lee, of course, comes to mind. Um, what What is Dan Lee doing now? I do not know. Exa- cricket, cricket, cricket. Yeah, he's playing golf with Glenn Schaefer, I guess. I don't know yeah. what... <laughs> well, Glenn
1: Schaefer's, you know, in his vineyard in New Zealand.
0: Yes, well... So he doesn't need our help. No, though I'd love to hear that guy's story one day, man. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting. Yeah, I don't
3: it. I don't think the uh, Federal Trade Commission will let there be any more big mergers. You know, we got different people in the White House than when all those other big ones were, were approved. You know, they've just put the kibosh on the American air, the American and US air, which is basically would have been the next step, you know, comparatively for the airline industry. At least they said no way on that thing. So I don't, I don't see this thing happening. I want to also dial back just a couple steps. I think it's kind of related uh, to some of the stuff that Steve mentioned on the, the wind call, about the uh, the external properties the other stuff boston and philly yeah, uh huh he mentioned just for a brief second the urban win right concept mm-hmm. and i thought this this the idea of this was pretty fantastic um, hello hello <laughs> hello is dave there
1: <laughs>
0: i'll take care of this
3: <laughs> it's steve calling telling me to stop talking about his hotel <laughs> But I lost my train of thought, but I thought the whole idea of the fact that they were redesigning and they had a different set of questions and concerns for these properties that are now not going to be in the sticks right. or out by the, by the industrial park, but really be kind of city adjacent where they're moving into the city with these casinos and that they've built a template to right. replicate this right. in other places. And you would assume after, after Boston and after Philly – they're going to start hitting Chicago, Detroit, L.A. Are you all ready?
0: Absolutely. So clearly uh, they see that thing as a template. You're absolutely right. Um, they uh, they feel like they've developed sort of the alternative to the sprawling mega resort uh, version of the hotel, which, of course, they've done many times and are quite good at. Um, they figured out a way to do a – you know, slightly smaller urban environment type thing, and it's one of one of the uh, I think one of the most interesting parts of that is their emphasis on separation of the casino from the rest of the amenities. Right? They always make a big point of oh, this casino is in this other room down the hallway, and you never have to see it if you don't want to. Yeah. Um, if you want to get to the casino, you know, it's super simple. But if you are if 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 you humble host city want a fabulous hotel but are not super thrilled about gambling, well, we need the gambling to make the numbers pencil out, but we'll hide it away in this other little room back in the back, and you don't have to see it if you don't want to. Drapes. Drapes. (laughs) The (laughs) world's largest tassel.
3: Well, it's the smoke and the mirrors, and they're pulling the drapes over the thing that you don't necessarily want to see. He's appeasing. He's appealing to... You know, the the, the bell curve of middle voters who are not necessarily sure they're for gambling or after gambling, but they don't want their kids to become gambling junkies.
0: Right. They don't – they want to go to the restaurant without having to take their kids through the casino to get there. Yeah. That's like
3: my my brother. My brother would be that kind of guy. I think he voted – he lives in Maryland and he voted for the casinos there,
0: but he's not a gambler. Interesting. Well, yeah. you know, they, you oh, no. go sorry. ahead, Dave.
1: Yeah. I think that's a lot of people now. I And I, this is an issue I've come up with again and again with the poker people and kind of the strategy to get online poker legalized is I think you've got a very small minority of people who feel, feel very strongly about it. A very small, you know, who like it a lot, a very small minority who hate it and think it's horrible. And I think most people in the middle, like figure, well, if you want to play craps, you know, go do it. And if we can pay for schools or whatever in the meantime, that sounds good. You know, I know that was my – the only gaming referendum I've ever voted for because I was – three when they passed the new jersey one was um prop five in california and pretty much my feeling was like hey you know that was the tribal self-determination and gaming act and my my feeling was like look if people want to gamble great and if the tribes want to build casinos like more power to them right so you know i don't know maybe i'm just projecting my own mindset but i think most people feel that way so if you want to be successful you've got to have a proposal that is not going to be offensive to those people.
0: I, I also would find deep irony in the fact, Dave, if you voted against that, being who you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, back then I wasn't. Back then I think I was just starting my dissertation research. And it's it was, still
0: uh, would have been very yeah. funny. Would have been a great paradox mm-hmm. of the Dave Schwartz universe. It wouldn't have. Wouldn't, <laughs> he was still
3: reading books about Thomas Jefferson. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think Chuck you're um, you're good to point out the urban wind thing as something to watch. Uh, you know, you you have to think that, you know, the chances are probably reasonable that they'll get at least one of these projects and maybe both. And yeah. if they're um, if they're a big success, you know, I I've remember interviews in the past Steve Wynn talking about one of his goals in life would be to have, you know, the nicest hotel in New York. I I wouldn't be you know, that might not be the top of his list anymore, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a certain you know, that there's a certain satisfaction in building grand hotels in some of the world's most interesting cities. Uh, all right. Let's see. Um, let's see. Definitely have some interesting – some more stuff here that we want to get to. Um, one of the things that I want to talk about, I talked about at the top of the show or at least mentioned, which is this, which is the Hyperloop. Um, because I – you know, while the Hyperloop is um, a nebulous thing at the moment uh, – in in some future reality where it maybe becomes uh, built, where it's maybe built, it could actually have some pretty profound implications on Las Vegas. So I guess first, um, quick background on the Hyperloop. I actually did not invent the Hyperloop. Uh, I'm sure you're surprised to learn this. Um, the Hyperloop is a proposed mass, high-speed mass transportation system designed by Elon Musk, who is the guy behind both tesla and uh spacex and previously paypal uh was one of the founders there um you know people say that or it's been it's been said that the uh you know the stark character in iron man is the downy portrayal slightly based on him um it's you know he's one of these crazy smart guys that really just sees the future and he has this idea for this system and in the proposed route And he's talking about is Los Angeles, San Francisco. And the way it's set up, you could, if, you know, and I'm no engineer, so I can't uh, validate his claims, but assuming that what he says in his designs is actually possible, you know, you could move people between those two cities in about a half an hour, Um, super fast, right? And so, and you imagine an alternative route, Let's, let's say they build that Hyperloop and it is a huge success, and they build... Um, another one that goes Los Angeles to Las Vegas. Imagine if you could be a Los Angelino and literally get to Las Vegas in a half an hour. If you could say, I want to have dinner at Bartolotta tonight and you jump on the Hyperloop and you go have dinner and you come home. Um, it would change Las Vegas completely if if something like that was possible. I mean, it would just... I, it's hard for me to really imagine how profound those changes could possibly be. Um Now, I I don't, you know, of course, if you guys have thoughts, I'd love to hear them in terms of. I don't think any of us are qualified to say whether or not this will ever happen. I mean, of course, we're talking about a a fantasy future that um, is, you know, many, many days away from where we are today. But I I would just love to hear if you uh, agree or disagree with that statement that it would really just be a game changer for Las Vegas.
1: I think it would change Las Vegas for residents so much more than it would change it for people coming from california okay because Why? basic well basically i think it would make it a lot people would be a lot more willing to move here okay you know my thought is my my first thought is like hey imagine getting up at six in the morning being like huh what's the, what's the beach weather like today okay you know let's take the kids and go to the beach right In like an hour you're on the beach you know venice beach that would totally change everything you know hey at that point i'd probably buy a surfboard <laughs> and uh, take up a new hobby there. But you know in the I think there's so this is such an interesting technology because it would have profound social changes everywhere. I mean, you know, you could you know, for that matter, if the commute would be a half hour, 20 minutes, you know, I could move to LA and and live there, you know, and work in Vegas and vice versa, you know. So I think It would make it a lot easier for people to move to Vegas because then they could have all the cultural attractions of L.A. and all the benefits of living in Vegas. So I think there's that. I think it also totally disrupts and changes everything we've known about how you get people to Vegas from California, you know, totally changes it. Like you said, you know, just having dinner there as a one-off, I think, you know, I can't even think of the ways that this is going to change, would change if it happens.
0: I, you know, I, I am totally with you. I just find this thing so exciting and fascinating. Chuck, I know you're a, a Musk fan as a well. A Muskite, Yes. <laughs> yeah, wow. And um, and you wrote about this on Vegas Stripping, which, yes. uh, you know, is part of the reason it's in the rundown today. Uh, what do you think about it? I mean, just, you know, you can expand on what you wrote in your article or, or recap it. I mean, I, I just want to hear from you on this.
3: Yeah, I think maybe just a little uh, a little recap so people understand what exactly the Hyperloop is on a technical uh, uh, way. Basically, it's kind of like, in some ways, uh, Elon Musk describes it as a cross between the Concorde, a railgun, which is a magnetic propulsion device, and an air hockey table. So it uses air to kind of uh, circum whatever uh, gravity and it uses the the magnets to blow things forward and then the Concorde is super high speed travel so you'd arrive at the station and you'd get in a pod, the pods just leave continuously, you don't have to buy a specific time, every six minutes a pod containing about 28 people or so leaves the station Uh, you get in the pod shut the door it's starts to speed up, and then kapow, you're going 780-something miles an hour. 20 minutes later, you're in San Francisco, and it starts slowing down before you get into the station. There's like a regular passenger version, and then there's a a larger version, which is passengers, uh, automobiles, and cargo. So imagine you could also drive your car into this thing. Like Dave pops the kids in in the driveway at home, gets into the Hyperloop with his car, He gets shot out in the middle of uh, of LA. He goes and drives around. He goes to the Ikea, picks up some stuff since they don't have one out there.
1: No, I need uh, some napkins too. So he
3: picks some napkins up, some some furniture and whatnot, and then Meatballs. uh, meatballs. Right. And then hops back in at the end of the day and he ends up in his driveway. No rental car, no problem. And like the drive took literally. A half hour so I think this thing would would be uh, it would be incredible just the way the same way that uh, man went from walking to inventing the wheel making things easier to move to riding other beasts and then the automobile and then the, the train or the train and then the automobile and then the airplane was like epic for how Las Vegas grew. If it wasn't for the airplane, nobody would have gone. Nobody would go at all. That is the, the invention of the airplane is what made Las Vegas kind of explode. You know, it became a viable destination for people to go to. So this thing as the fifth mode of transportation has the potential to change the world and the way it is, the way The way it works, the way we interact with each other, and the way our global community would really become like a a giant bus network. Yeah. Hey, I'm I'm going to Paris. I'll be there in an hour and a half with my car.
0: I I I don't. Yeah. I I just. It seems like the best thing ever. Like I let's drop everything and do this.
1: Yeah. I you know this is the kind of invention I want out of people where it is better for the environment, consumes less resources, and it's cheaper and quicker and more efficient and more convenient. I mean, that's the kind of stuff we should do, you know?
0: Yeah, Yeah, and of course, part of the proposal that um, – so he, the folks that, that work with uh, Musk at Tesla and SpaceX worked <laughs> together to put out this sort of beta sp- or alpha specification for the Hyperloop, and part of it is comparing its um, their estimated costs to – a uh, high-speed rail project that the state of California has been threatening to do for you know the last ten years, and if if they get their way, will be done in about a hundred. Um, but and so you know, if Musk's calculations are correct, it's significantly cheaper. Now, of course, he is. Uh, we're talking about technology, or it's, it's it's not that it's technology that doesn't exist, but it's at least putting it together in a way that hasn't been done before, and so there are probably unknowns here. Uh, that haven't been surfaced, and um, he, I think he would be the first person to admit that uh, it's still very much a an alpha level design that needs a lot of work. Um, but uh, you know, I I, I want this. Uh, <laughs> where, where's the Kickstarter? Um, yeah. You know, I, let's let's build this thing. I I don't I, you know. To, I was kidding, but I, can you? I can't. I can't not think that if you did try and raise money for this, that it actually wouldn't be that hard because. It's it's something that um, you know as long as it's viable, as long as you can get enough people that know what they're talking about to look at it and say this actually you know has got a good chance of working. Um, that it seems just like such an amazing thing. So build a test, you know, right? Build build a small
3: one that goes from Santa Barbara to L.A. and
0: he's or talk, something he's talking you know? about doing a some some doing some smaller scale test systems to see. I mean, he basically said, you know, for those who aren't following this. He's basically saying, "Look, I'm busy running these two companies. I don't have time to do this." Though you can tell the way he talks about it that he clearly w- wants this thing to be reality. W- yeah. I think partially, a he wants to live in a world that has it, but b he wants to see if he's right, if, <laughs> if yeah. uh, you know, if if this thing is as interesting and workable as uh, as he thinks it will be. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I hope that uh, if it's between a, a, a high speed rail that isn't very fast. And something like this, I'd rather see my state invest in this uh, and see if they can make it work versus, uh, versus the 30 billion dollar high-speed train that they're claiming that they're going to build.
1: You know I, I also think it's worth saying that this would be s- such an advantage to the U.S. West, where we're both pretty you know we're pretty dense. It's very urban, but it's also very spread out. So if you could imagine just a network of these running you know, from L.A. to Vegas, up to Salt Lake City, out to Denver, down to Phoenix, to Santa Fe, kind of linking together the West. I think that would just totally transform the American West in a way that hasn't been done since 1890 and uh, the closing of the frontier from yeah, uh, hey, Turner's hey, I'm, frontier I'm, thesis there. I'm
3: going to Salt Lake City. I'll be there in th- – 38 minutes i've never been to i've driven through salt lake city but i'd never consider going there but if i know it's just as close as if i drove to the apple store (laughs) then damn right i'll go there sure i'll go there what's going on they got some beer maybe
1: what yeah i mean what blows my (laughs) mind about this whole thing is that it would take beer in salt lake city no sorry go ahead it would take (laughs) it would take longer to ride on the high roller than it would to get from vegas (laughs) to la (laughs) Wow, this, I mean that's like wow, yeah.
0: That's a funny stat. Yeah, you're right. That's crazy. I don't know. I don't want to gush too much about the Hyperloop, but I really do want to gush too much about the Hyperloop because <laughs> I just think it's the coolest thing. I, it's one of those things that it's like is both um, just sounds amazing, but it's also sort of inspiring. I think it's it's amazing. It's just really fun to see uh, a game, a potentially new game changing technology, uh, be discussed, and I hope it continues to be discussed. Or seems people seem to be excited about it. I hope that that. That level of excitement keeps up, and I hope that we see some movement on some of this stuff.
3: You figure the price of this thing, as as in the spec from San Francisco to L.A., the price was like seven billion dollars or so. That's not that much money. You'd think no, not for a government. No, no. Why? Why wouldn't like the city of of Vegas not just say, "Hey, let's we'll, we'll buy it. We'll do it. We'll buy it."
0: I you know I think uh, I, along with the cost, obviously there's a huge headache in actually you know securing all the land rights you'd need for it. I mean you you would have to have the states and the governments on board, right? Cuz you would yeah. need a lot of political muscle to make it happen.
1: Right. Here's my other idea. Uh, you know what if Genting or another Chinese company comes in well, and does
0: the, and, and oh, does it? Well, I I almost guarantee you that we're going to see a hyperloop in China before we do in the United States, which is really sad.
1: But imagine if you had a hyperloop, so even if you just, if, if you had a hyperloop between Las Vegas and the Grand Canyon. Yeah, right. You know, how that would be, I mean, first of all, it would be filled all the time and it would totally boost tourism to both places. So that would work, but it would take somebody who had been involved with bringing tourists over from other countries to here to really do it.
0: What we're going to find out after all this gushing about the hyperloop or there's going to be like a story tomorrow about how the hyperloop is like an advanced pyramid scheme and we're going to look <laughs> we're going to look incredibly dumb but or, um,
1: you know yeah or it's like uh you know it's a cookbook scenario yes, Twilight right. own kind exactly. of thing
0: exactly <laughs> so. i don't know I, I think the hyperloop is amazing i encourage the people that are interested to go read more about it and see I mean, you could read the entire the entire um, alpha design spec if you want to uh, which is includes both sort of a, a layman's introduction and then some pretty advanced engineering mumbo-jumbo um, as well. So I'll link to that in the show notes. But I, I want to get a couple more things in before we wrap it up. Um, one is actually, you know, if I'm going to segue between the Hyperloop Let's say you have a small group of family or friends or a small convention and you want to have it in Las Vegas. The best way to get there is the Hyperloop. But once you're there, where do you have this said event? Dave is here to let us know how this works.
1: Yeah, this is kind of really cool. This is something that I just found out. I was kind of looking for story ideas and checking out conventions that were coming. And I noticed that there's a lot of family reunions coming to Vegas. And, you know, this is something that's been going on for a while. So it's not like it's totally new. I'm saying, wow, I just discovered this from the first person ever notice it. But I thought it was right to write a story about it. And... Managed to talk to some folks at the Tuscany. They were able to walk me through some of what they do and how they get people there, which I'll say is another advantage of working with a smaller casino. You don't have to go through all the red tape of the corporate PR to get to somebody who actually does what they do. It seems like the smaller casinos actually trust their people, especially their salespeople, to talk intelligently about are convention sales, which is very refreshing. Mm. So, you know, just kind of did you know some LBCV research, did some research into the whole Smurf social, military, educational reunion, or I forget R and family um, aspect. That whole element of it, and it turns out it's actually a pretty big business, especially for these smaller properties that can't handle the you know forty thousand person convention, but a group of fifty people is really great, and it's kind of something that's growing.
0: Smurf and mice. I love the acronyms that the convention industry <laughs> comes up with. Um, it was interesting. It was. I'm glad you wrote the piece, Dave, because I think it's interesting to look at. You know, it's we all see the big conventions when they roll into town, but these are some of the sort of corners of the industry that are not as obvious unless you've you know planned one of these or attended one of these.
1: Yeah.
3: So, would you say that the Vegas Internet Mafia picnic is Smurfs?
1: I think it kinda is. It's a reunion kind of thing. It's not, you know, we it's not a expositions. We're not trying to sell stuff. We don't
0: have a trade floor.
1: I think yeah, I think that counts as Smurf.
0: Chuck, are you are you the the blue chick smurf? What's her name again? <laughs> Oh, I don't know candy. Uh-huh. You don't know Smurfette. Smurfette. Oh yeah, that's right. Smurfette. I knew it was like ba- ba- Babe Smurf or something. Smurfette. Right. Got it. Yes. Is that you, Chuck? I can sort of imagine you. With, she has blue hair, right? I sort of imagine. Sure. That. I'll dress up like that for you. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> there's a, there's a sure bet for you right there. Um, I don't know. I I will. I would encourage people to read Dave's piece. It's in Vegas Seven um, this week. It's on the website, uh, and I'll link to it as well. But um, definitely recommend that. Uh, before we go, oh, sorry. I thought, the, I thought the
3: artwork on that piece was pretty funny. <laughs> it was like a, it was like an Eastern European family having a barbecue <laughs> on a giant picnic board <laughs> in front of Bellagio.
0: <laughs> it was pretty weird. I definitely link to that so you can see what Chuck's talking about. It is kind of funny um before we go i want to quickly just mention something because i'm not really sure this is an area where um since it's not legal in my state i have no direct experience with this but um it is in an industry that i'm directly connected to which is you know apps in the apple app store which is you know for the iphone and the ipad they do allow gambling apps um as long as they are uh are from an operator that is licensed in their jurisdiction and they're geographically located and, and that they um, adhere to all the, all the regulatory rules that the operator is bound to. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see Apple sort of, they continue to evolve their App Store rules and they actually changed their App Store review guidelines this week with two new rules that are related to, um, related to gambling apps. And I, I, I think it's not yet clear how this may impact the small but growing, um, you know, internet and mobile gambling market. But the, these are, I think at least interesting to think about as we continue to watch this story as it continues and the rules, there's basically two new rules. And the first one is that apps that are doing real gambling for money actually have to be free in the store. So you can't sell a casino app that is for money. So if you're one of these new Nevada outfits that wants to do, um, you know, create an app that would play the game on an iPhone or an iPad your app has to be free in the app store so that has some interesting market dynamics and the other aspect of it is perhaps more interesting and they definitely go together there's a, a mechanism Um, on the iPhone and the iPad called In-App Purchase, which is a way for people to uh, purchase stuff out of an app after you've already downloaded it. It's used a lot in games for stuff like extra content. Um, It's used for books and that sort of thing. Um, So there's a new rule in the App Store that basically says that if you have a casino app, you cannot use In-App Purchase to fill your gambling account. So basically what that means practically is if you have a casino app that's in the app store that does real money gambling you have to rely on the user going to your website through some other mechanism to fill their account with whatever credits are required to right. to uh, to play the games which is interesting so it's um it, the Apple is saying look we're going to allow these apps but we're putting up a couple of little speed bumps here to um, for you know i I think that my guess is if you were to ask them to clarify they would say that this is to protect the users, um, but it's, it'll be interesting. Interesting to see how this market reacts to these sorts of little, these little tweaks. Um, and I, you know, I don't have any answers on this, but I, I just found it interesting that uh, my two worlds collided with this new <laughs> story here. So I thought I had to mention it
1: yeah I think the ban on in-app purchases might also be to protect them against chargebacks and stuff like that. yeah, because I think they would inevitably follow, whereas if you have to fund it, however you're funding it, that's a lot more stringent, also probably regulatory concerns too.
0: yeah, absolutely. there's a lot of moving parts with this stuff. I you know honestly, when this when they started letting these apps into the store, I was surprised that they allowed them at all. Um, but clearly, uh, they're okay with it as long as you uh, sort of jump through their hoops, which is, I think, interesting. Um, it'll be a- as uh, you know, legal online gambling spreads. It'll be interesting to see um, as more people get access to it, especially in, in the United States, how that all plays out.
3: Well, it it seems pretty clear that uh, Apple doesn't want to be the uh, the wire transfer protocol for the payments. Right. They don't Correct. want to be, I forget what was the name of that company that always did all the transfers for the, uh, for the internet poker sites back in the day. They made you call them at three o'clock in the morning or something and when somebody would talk to you and geolocate whatever, all this other nonsense. But uh, also, if Apple's going to take the money through the in-app purchase, then they would probably also be responsible for paying the money.
0: To. Right. Oh, absolutely. So that, yeah, that's how that works. That eliminates that whole quandary as well. So. I think no. I I can think of a lot of reasons. I, I I'm just fascinated to watch this unfold, especially because it's something that I, I can't personally access right now. Right. So I am sort of I don't have any firsthand experience with these apps and how they work and what the experience experiences are like. Um, I have to sort of uh, guess. But it's I think it's interesting to see how it's going to unfold. Um, very curious. All right, that's it. That's all we got. That's it. So, please, now, we, but we are not done. It may be it, but we're not done. Um, <laughs> we have a couple of stories that we didn't get to, but we will save them for next time. Actually, I think they might go well with, with, our, uh, with our show next time, given the topics. And I'll just leave you with that. Um, so, now we are going to do our world famous Sure Bets segment. And so, what this is, is our opportunity to share something with you. The audience that we think is interesting, something that we've come across in our daily lives, that we've liked, something that maybe has to do with Las Vegas, but not necessarily. Just something that we think is cool, that uh, you might think is cool, too. So, um, you know, Chuck, last time you punted, uh, you're not allowed to punt twice. Ah, shit. So (laughs) you're going to have to give us something. If you're not ready, I'll start with Dave. Start with Dave. I got to think. All right. All right. We, we require you to do your homework on this show. All right. Dave, why don't you go? If you have something for us. I've got a really good one. Oh, we'll okay. see. There this you go. This isn't
1: in Vegas. This is up in, up in Moapa, which is about an hour north of Vegas in the 15. It's called Ruse and More. And according to their website, it's an ed experience. It's basically a small nonprofit educational zoo that's kind of almost in these people's house. There's a couple of houses involved, and they've got a lot of kangaroos. They've also got a lot of lemurs who are very friendly and a capuchin monkey that I'm going to come back to later. Um, basically, it's open. looks about four days a week or so. It's not, I mean, four days a, a month, so it's very selective. It costs $10 to get in. Kids two and under are free, but they've also got a lot of things a la carte that you can do, like the... Um, Going into the kangaroo enclosure is an extra seven bucks. The really big thing is the sloth encounter which is an extra $25, which I accidentally walked in on. And it was like a darkened room with some guy holding the sloth in his chest. It was like something out of eyes wide shut or something. And if it just kind of looks at me like, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, this is a private experience. I'm like, as I can tell. So, yeah, the sloth encounter, which you didn't do, but I did do the ruse. And I'm going to give people another little warning, okay? So there's a little capuchin monkey who looks very fun and very mischievous. Let me tell you something. That monkey knows what he's doing. There might have been an incident where I'm posing with my daughter, with the monkey, for a picture. And the monkey decides to first climb in my head. Then the monkey climbs in my back. Then the monkey takes a big whiz.
0: All over my back. Oh, no! So, yeah.
1: Now, the monkey knew what he was doing. Also... <laughs> One of my friends said they went back there later and somebody put a diaper on the monkey. Oh. So I think the management at Rosenmore knows of the risk here. Um, but yeah, besides getting peed on by a monkey, which is... I got to say, honestly, not that bad. You know, uh, <laughs> they got a sink right there. So I just kind of washed the shirt out. Luckily, low humidity. So it dries. You know, did put it in the uh, washer once we got home, but not the worst thing that's happened to me um, in the last week being peed on by a monkey. But Ruse and Moore, wow. a, a lot of fun. You know, a little bit of a hike. Hopefully, I'll have the time to do a Viva Vegas post about it. But yeah, that was a lot of fun.
0: And uh, that's a good one. Yeah.
1: The. Um, trying to think of the other animals the lemurs were really cool i had this one i kind of really hit it off with i, I nicknamed him Jean Luc, which uh, next generation people will get from that episode where they all where uh picard is going to turn into a lemur
0: excellent well that's a great one dave um thank you so thanks. much for sharing that thanks. Uh, thanks i would have paid big money to see the the monkey pee incident there's uh, a
1: picture that's floating around on facebook
0: oh i'll have to go check that out <laughs> yeah. uh charles did you have a chance to think of something
3: uh, okay, I got a couple things. Okay, great. Um, I got a couple things. Uh, I learned something in the last week that, uh, when your dear friends send you coffee, uh-huh. don't drink that in addition to the coffee you already drink. Uh-oh, it's too much. <laughs> because then you you know you you really have to find the balance between coffee and drinking water otherwise your your head hurts yeah yeah that's one that's a minor thing number 2 is uh I, they moved a bunch of these hamburger joints into my neighborhood and i kind of like them it's called the habit burger yeah they're from here yeah they're from they're from up there by you and uh it's really nice it's like clean the staff is friendly and well dressed they uh They've got really good burgers. They cook everything to order. They got like a pastrami sandwich, which is pretty freaking great too. So if you see a Habit Burger, you might dig that too. That's two. And number three is my wife bought an electric, electric car. Okay. It's a Fiat 500E. And I tell you what, man, this thing, if you had never driven an electric car before, the best way I could describe it is it's kind of like, Stomping on the gas pedal of a golf cart, like <laughs> just right. yes. fully, because <laughs> yes. you get full torque of the engine of the of the turbine and all the power immediately. There's no, you know, like an engine you hit the gas and it's it kind of revs up. None of that immediately. Right from the second you hit the gas, the thing takes off. The car is really is a lot of fun to drive. Now. The caveat is, of course, we just heard today that uh, it's being recalled by the manufacturer. So <laughs> let's hear it from for being an early adopter. <laughs> so I'd say, you know, get yourself really caffeinated, hop in your electric car, drive as fast as possible to the Habit Burger, and hopefully you won't break down. That would be my sure bet. It's kind of like a sandwich
0: of small sure bets. I punt. That's, no, that's good. That's good. Um, actually, I'll segue into my own, and I'm sort of uh, – this is sort of cheating. But uh, you, after you're done at The Habit, drive your electric car to the Hyperloop. I am just so enamored <laughs> with the Hyperloop. I, I, it like ruined my entire day on Monday or whenever it was when they announced it because I, I was supposed to be doing all this work. And then all of a sudden, she- I'm just watching this Hyperloop thing and like yeah. reading the document. It totally sucked me in. Um, and I knew it was coming, and if you know, he's been hinting at it for a while. So it, I was aware of the hyperloop's coming, but um, I'm just really fascinated by it, and uh, I'm just planning to continue to track it and really hope that somebody makes something of it. I I think it's incredibly exciting, and for the reasons that we talked about on the show, I think it's you know just could be an amazing thing that we must have. I w- I require this in my yes. future.
1: Yeah, I got to say, originally I thought it was, was going to be like a segue kind of thing
0: right. where, yeah, right. oh,
1: this is going to be revolutionary. Uh, and They use it, you know, security guards in the mall. But, yeah, I mean it's really – I'm really psyched.
0: Very cool. Very, very cool. Well, um, thank you guys. Uh, don't forget to rate the show on iTunes. That helps other people find the show, which is very important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also go to VegasGangPodcast.com to leave comments about this episode if you're maybe – a fledging fledgling engineer who is going to tell us the Hyperloop is never going to work. Feel free to rebut our Hyperloop enthusiasm there. Um, you can also reach us via Twitter at Vegas Gang, and uh, that is it for today. Thanks to everybody for being here. Let me go around the table, and you guys can tell people where they can find you. Doctor Dave, where can people find you?
1: DGSchwartz.com.
0: And Mr. Chuck Monster, where can people find you? People can find me at DGSchwartz.com. <laughs> Of course they can. I'm also at (laughs) DGSwartz.com. Thanks, everybody. Have a fantastic weekend.
2: (laughs) On October 19, 2013, 2013, the the Vegas Internet Mafia Mafia family family picnic invades the D Las Vegas Vegas on Fremont Fremont Street. Street. Featuring 500 by by Midnight, the original Las Vegas podcast.
0: Tits McGee.
2: The Vegas Gang podcast.
0: As you've already surmised, we are the smartest people in the entire world.
2: Vegas Tripping Match match
0: Game. This is going to be
1: really, really
0: it's going to be like Animal House.
2: And Stump Dr. Dave.
1: I have a lot of strange conversations. Plus,
2: the first ever World Series of Satin Casino Jackets. Gorgeous pool table. The 777th running of the Pimp Tucky Derby. And a very special after party featuring a concert by multi platinum Juno Award winner Our Lady Peace. Visit VegasInternetMafia.com for details, hotel room, discos, and more. The 2013 Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic. Be there.